0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the Wellness Code Podcast. Today, I will be speaking with Ashley, who is a functional nutritionist. She supports families in building a foundation for healthy food relationships, and in this episode, we explore the importance of the gut microbiome in children. It's my hope that by the end of the episode, parents will have a better understanding of gut health and learn more about how to support the microbiome. Here's our conversation. Ashley, welcome to the Wellness Code Podcast. I'm really excited to have you on the show today, and I'd like to ask you about gut health and why it needs to start in childhood. But before we get into some of these questions, I'd really like to know
1: what inspired you to basically get into this field That is a great question, and I'm really happy to be here and talk to you about something that's really important to me as well. Um, I think my inspiration for all of the work and research and going back to school starts with my own childhood. So I was a very sick child, and I spent a lot of years in and out of doctor's offices struggling with my health and you know, that continued into my college days of feeling very unwell. I had a collection of medications to handle all of my symptoms. I had a collection of doctors. And as I became a young adult after college, I started searching for answers outside the doctor's office that could really kind of give me relief. And so once I started finding those answers, I wanted to find out more. I wanted to learn more about the research. I wanted to understand how to read the science and dive deeper into what we're understanding, lifestyle choices that could impact your health. So it was really about healing myself. Um, and then once I had children, it was about how do I help other children and other people heal themselves and their children.
0: And my guess is that as, as some people are listening to this, you might even relate to this. They might even find that... Um, they've had very similar experiences. The discussion that we're gonna have today can very much be applied to adults, everyone.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's really important as, you know, in functional nutrition, when we often think about how we're gonna address the health of a child, we look to the parents to understand their story. Because um, we understand the connection of the choices and the lifestyle that has happened in the parents' lives impacts the child's health. And so I think, you know, functional nutrition is great because often parents come in and they want to improve their child's health, but they end up improving their own health as well. Um, so it's kind of becomes a family wow. family, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes
0: That makes complete sense. If families are on board and if they are addressing maybe gut issues in in children as a family, collectively they're working together and sort of without even realizing that's also having a a really positive impact on the entire family. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really powerful because then if If the family can experience a positive impact of the changes that they're implementing, then isn't it more likely that
1: these are practices that are going to be more sustainable for everyone, for the entire family? Exactly. I think um, so much about working with children is that it requires the family to change their patterns or their behaviors. And if you want to improve the health of a child, it's really hard to ask a child to change patterns or behaviors if the family isn't on board. So oftentimes we need to get the entire family on board so that we can help the child and it ends up helping everyone.
0: As a functional nutritionist, I um you probably spend a lot of time looking into gut health and the importance of gut health. So I suppose we could start by asking the very first question, and that is, you know, what is um, what is gut health? But more importantly, where does it start? And, you know, what is the microbiome? You know, we hear that a lot, the microbiome, we hear gut health. But how are they connected Um And where does it all
1: start? Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, as you mentioned, it starts with the microbiome. So gut health really starts at looking at the microbiome, which is made up of trillions of microorganisms that live in our bodies and outside our bodies and includes their genetic material. And so when you think about that, it's not just bacteria, which is often what we're referring to when we talk about gut health, but it also includes fungi and viruses and other various parts of the body. But when we talk about gut health in you know, mainstream conversations, we're often referring to bacteria. And mm-hmm. we're often referring to the bacteria that lives in our gut, in our colon. But I think it's also important for us to remember that it doesn't just live in our gut, it lives on our skin, in our mouths, on our, in our noses, um, and on the various surfaces of our body. So when we think about the microbiome, it's all of those parts connected.
0: Is that there is this rich, diverse world that takes place in our gut, on our skin, all around? Would that be considered to be almost like a symbiotic relationship between us and them for the most part?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's really fascinating in this time is we are learning so much so quickly about the microbiome, but I also think it's important. Any conversation we have, we talk a lot about what we don't, that we don't know so much about the microbiome. So essentially there was the human microbiome project where we really started to understand. It started in 2008. We started to understand what's happening and, um, how many bacteria are involved in our body, but we also came to terms with how much we don't know. Um, So right now I think there's over 2000 clinical trials that are listed that are just researching how the bacteria impacts our health and what's happening. Um, But there's also been a lot of great research that's already come forward that's giving us some signs and signals about what we do know and what we can do about it to protect our gut health. Oh, this is so exciting. Now,
0: first, when you said 2008, I'm thinking, wow, only 2008, I, I would think it would go back further than that. But no, this is really the research that we are seeing then is in its infancy. Yeah. So <laughs> that in itself is a little bit, I'm a little bit shocked by that, I suppose. But it's also really exciting. Yeah. Um, to see this much research coming out.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes I get overwhelmed by this concept of like, we're just now starting to understand that the choices we make impact the bacteria in our body that impacts so much of our health. But then I'm also really excited about the future because if we're just in the infancy of research, I hope in the future that our children will gain the benefits of this and there will be so many more tools aside from lifestyle that can help impact their, their microbiome in a positive way. So there's, you know, there's tools like, um, transporting the microbiome from a healthy subject into someone who might be struggling with a specific condition. And it's only available for this one condition, but I hope in the future that our children will have access to this sort of medical technology that's gonna benefit them. Um, So I think that it is in its infancy and there's a lot of exciting things that might happen in the future that can help us take care of it um, and make it easier. Yeah.
0: And I'm looking at also at the possibility of us being able to Quickly and efficiently um, screen for gut health as another way to screen for health in the same way that we may look at um, whether we're anemic. Yep. So I'm really thinking ahead here. So we can uh, quickly go in and we can check: are we anemic? How are the iron levels and so forth? So imagine if we could do, um, and I know there's other there are ways that uh, pediatricians, et cetera, are testing for this. But um, I have a feeling that in the near future, there will be a way for pediatricians to um, check up the gut health in the same way you would anything else and use that as a source of information to help guide parents. What I really want to know is, you know, what is gut health and how is it
1: then connected to our children's health. Yeah, yeah. So I think when you step back and think about what is gut health, I like to focus on what the gut, what we know about the gut and what it does for us. And so when we look at the research that's available and all of the ways the gut is manipulating the body, um, we can talk about some of the, the ways it protects our health. So we know that the bacteria in our body aid in digesting our food. They help us with nutrient absorption. So they help with the food that you're taking in. It helps you get what you need from that food. They regulate our metabolism. They can help control how food moves through our body. Um, They also can produce vitamins. So vitamins like B12 or folate, we found that the bacteria can influence the production of these really important vitamins in the body. There's so many things they do, I can keep going on, but I think some of the other things that you mentioned to me earlier in our conversation is we now understand that they can create neurotransmitters that impact how you feel, your mood, your behavior, your response to situations. So we understand that there's a mental health element um, and we also, there's so many layers. And I think one of the most important conversations happening globally is we also understand that the microbiome influences our immune system yeah, so we're seeing these connections to, you know, the, micro- the microbiome can help, the bacteria can help inform your immune system. Like, is this a foreign invader? Is it safe? Or is this thing something harmless that I can tolerate? Um, We also know there's a rise of autoimmune disease and allergies. And so there's a lot of great research coming forward about the connection between the health of your bacteria and your microbiome and having autoimmune disease or allergies. So there's a lot of layers to what it can do. We also understand that it's impacting um, insulin sensitivity. Um, So with metabolic Mm. syndrome being a major Um, cause of chronic disease, a major chronic disease we're addressing these days. It's important to understand that it also has an impact there.
0: We have this um, microbiome and, you know, I really should be eating from my gut
1: in a way. Yeah, that's essentially a great way to think about it. I often tell my kids, um, I always refer to the bacteria in their gut as bugs and I tell them there's tons of tiny little bugs that live in your belly and a lot of the choices that we make about food like how does it influence how those bugs are feeling and if those bugs are being fed what they need then you're going to feel really good you're going to have a lot of energy you're going to have great your food's going to move through your body you're going to be in a good mood and so I think that's a really great way of thinking about is like these bugs in our body and how do we feed them and protect them Um, and we have a big responsibility to take care of them if we want to feel good.
0: And that right there is something currently in the landscape of our sort of culture and society, I feel is, is lost. So it's really nice that the conversation is coming back to the heart of what's really important and shining a light almost on the microbiome and the gut health. It's a, it's, it's a new perspective, maybe not a new perspective, but it's gaining the the popularity, or it's gaining the interest that it truly
1: deserves. Yeah, because it is so important. I hope so. I hope we get to a place where it is a mainstream idea, where you hear parents talking about it um, and recognizing the importance, or you hear every pediatrician in Talking about it with parents and helping them understand um, that this thing is very important to talk about. I think one of the most profound things my professor said um, was that we do not inherit the microbiota from our ancestors, but we borrow it from our children. And I think what he was really talking about was this idea that, like, our children are holding the key to their children and their grandchildren and their great grandchildren's future. Um, and so helping our children understand that like what's inside their body is really important um, and also helping those who are thinking about having children that like what they're doing now in their body is really important for future generations. And once it's lost, it can't be regained. So anything we do to harm it um, at the moment, we don't have the technology to repair it um, available to everyone. So it's really important to have a lot of you know, value on this thing in our lives.
0: Is that why it is so important that when we are talking about nutrition,
1: uh, that we take this gut health perspective? For sure. Yes, I think that's definitely why. And I think also because we now are in it, you know, we're in a state of high rates of chronic disease in a lot of countries. And we know that there's a great connection to the health of our microbiome and the rise of chronic disease. And so one of the things we do every day, our children eat four to six times a day, depending on how old your child is. And this is one of the ways we can interact with several times a day and influence based on the choices we're making. So I think nutrition is like a powerful tool that you have at your fingertips and you're using every day. So it's great to learn how to use it the right way.
0: What do you think has been one of the biggest contributing factors to us Losing touch with the gut health perspective was there. Was there a historical point in time where gut health perspective, or um, just gut health in general, went downhill? And yeah. something that something that took place in our society, or was there something that happened? I can't help but
1: t- yeah. to ask that. Well, I think what's interesting, if if you some of the research has looked at some of the populations that are still very much secluded from, um, you know, modern day activities. So if you go, you know, into these uh, indigenous cultures and you explore their microbiome, you find that they have a really strong level of diversity compared to someone in a Western society. So I think understanding that a lot of the things that we've done in our modern times has impacted our microbiome. So I'm imagining a time when we were farming and growing our own food and not relying on processed food. And we didn't have such a prevalent use of pharmaceuticals and antibiotics and chemicals pouring in our environment was a time that we were probably making choices that were caring for our microbiome on a regular basis. Um, So it's a little harder in this modern world with conveniences to make sure that we're protecting it. You
0: said something then. You said diversity, the diversity of microbiome. And how important
1: is the diversity? So, that is if you could protect. The diversity of your microbiome. Then, then you're doing the best thing possible. So, I think the goal is to keep as much diversity as possible, um, and to maintain it. Because once you lose a bacteria, you can't regain it. So, there's some. There is this misconception sometimes that you can reseed your microbiome and you can replant seeds that you might have lost, but. Ultimately, currently, we that's not available to the general population. So that is exactly it. The goal is to protect the diversity and to p- pass as much diversity as possible down to your children and your children's children.
0: So through
1: generations,
0: we could potentially be depleting this diversity um, without having the capacity to regenerate that at the, at the, at the speed that we are losing the the diversity of our gut.
1: Yeah. Of the
0: microbiome.
1: Yeah. Essentially, that's correct. You know, there are things like fecal matter transplants that are used um, in rare specific conditions where you can take another individual with diversity take their fecal matter and transplant it into an individual's colon, but that is not something that's being regularly used and it's not available to everyone. So essentially anything you lose in your generation will be lost in the generations that follow you. Um, There are times where you can lose some of the diversity and regain it by making the right choices. So if you take an antibiotic and you've wiped out a large portion of a bacteria, but there's still some thriving. There is the the ability to keep feeding that and help it thrive. But once that bacteria Mm -hmm. has been completely removed, it's really hard to regain it. So thinking about your microbiome as like this garden that you wanna grow and maintain and tend to um, and teaching our children to do the same so that we can continue to have a large level of diversity to pass on.
0: Wow. I mean, that is amazing. And I love your analogy about the garden. I'm definitely going to think about that and reflect on our conversation today because on day-to-day basis, we have the potential to really, a few times a day, to have a positive impact on our gut health through food. And we almost take it for granted. I'm not what should we be doing as parents and, you know, so to make sure that our children are eating
1: for optimal gut health? Yeah. So I think one of the, you know, first, one of the first things I think about is whole foods, so I'm, I'm really focused on whole plant-based foods. And that's not to say that we don't eat animal products, but I understanding that a range of a variety of whole plant-based foods can really feed our microbiome. Um, so I often talk about whether you are eating the rainbow and just trying to get as much diversity into your diet as possible. And that is a combination of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds, um, and trying to make sure you just try to have a variety of these on a daily basis and throughout the week um, can be really important. And what is great about them is one they're filled with these colorful nutrients. So they're called polyphenols and they feed the microbiome. So if you think about something like blackberries, blueberries, strawberries, plums, like all these colorful foods, like every color is providing a different nutrient and different information for your microbiome. So as much as you can include variety in your plant-based foods, you're going to do a really good job feeding your microbiome. There's also some specific foods that we know can really help your microbiome. So there's something we call prebiotic foods. And so those might be like garlic, onion, asparagus. Um, We have something here we call sunchokes, but they also call them Jerusalem artichokes. And those are one of the richest sources of prebiotics that can feed the good bacteria in your gut. So I think including those foods as much as possible in your routine can be really helpful.
0: So garlic and onion are pre um, pre-biotic. prebiotic. Great. Fantastic. We love both of those.
1: Yeah. It's and I great. Think there's some other foods that are, you know, children often like. So things like resistant starch can be really great. So it takes your body a little bit longer to break it down and get all the nutrients. So things like bananas, but also really ripe banana, not not so ripe bananas. So not necessarily browning, but still a little bit green can be a lot of great resistant starch. Um, potatoes, cooked and cooled root vegetables. These are all really great sources of resistant starch. That's another great food to include in your diet if you want to make sure you're feeding and maintaining your microbiome.
0: Can you quickly tell us, because I hear the pre and the pro. Yep. probiotic often and in the past i've been confused about the function of, of the two or how they differ
1: yeah so probiotic foods um, so probiotics there might be something you refer to as a supplement but we also have like foods that contain bacteria, things like fermented foods. So when you think about probiotics, you're thinking about these bacteria and very specific strains. And they are things that you're going to take that maybe could fill a missing piece. Um, So we have now very targeted probiotics. If you have eczema, there might be a probiotic strain that we have found in research can really support treating eczema. Um, So probiotic that's specific to your condition, and it could help fill a gap while your body heals um, so that's more specific to a bacteria but a prebiotic is something that's going to feed the bacteria or the bugs that live in your body so a prebiotic is you know a, is a food that can provide nutrients to the microbiome if that makes sense. Prebiotics have the ability to pass all the way through the colon and feed the bacteria. And probiotic foods, they're a little bit harder to research. So probiotic foods are great. They provide lots of nutrients and reactions in the body that can improve your health and well-being. And anything that does that is going to be ultimately good for the microbiome. But we also have very little research that shows us that a probiotic food, you could eat it, it could be filled with bacteria, and then it reaches your colon and can do Be beneficial to your gut. Um, It's really hard to study probiotic foods because that coconut yogurt you made, the one batch might contain a diverse range of bacteria. And then the next batch you make can contain very different bacteria. So if you want to take that into research and try to study it, it's really hard to control. Um, But so we don't really have a lot of great research that says that this probiotic food that you're taking can get to your colon and can do something great for your microbiome, but it's also a really positive food to have in your diet and mm, okay. to treat your health. But then prebiotics, we yeah. understand, are, they actually have the ability to get to your colon and do things great things for your microbiome. So basically, pre and pro complement each other. Would that be safe to say? Yes. I think there is a place in the diet to make sure you're getting foods, fermented foods that have bacteria and a great, it's really important in your diet to make sure you're also getting prebiotic foods.
0: Okay. Brilliant. Uh, Speaking of fermented foods, how early should we be introducing fermented foods
1: to children? I think that how early is can be really personal, but I think getting a diverse range of foods into your child's diet between the six to 12 month mark when you're starting solids or exploring food is really important. So, you know, once you start your journey and your child starts showing interest in foods, I think they can be a part of a, your the diet um so also everything we're introducing our children to from the beginning is influencing what they like so if fermented foods are important to your family and this is something you want to make sure your family is eating then i think it's a great food that can be included at a young age once your journey with solids begins if that may, if that makes sense
0: no no absolutely um in our family we are big fans of fermented foods and um you know, some of the things that I come across is, I sort of question myself, oh, is my child ready for this? I know initially it can be, um, and I'm just using fermented foods as an example, you sort of, you realize that there is maybe certain smells associated with fermented foods, so you almost, um, hesitantly introduce some some of these foods and I do wonder whether I'm being too hesitant about saying hey go ahead and try this it's sauerkraut it's cabbage it's just go ahead and give it a go um and you know it could be that there isn't like a a perfect time or perfect age it really is about what you feel comfortable with what um what your family is, is Eating on on daily basis, and I think and another one of those things that I can I find comfort in is, and I probably read this on your blog as well on your
1: website, mm-hmm. is to just kind of put it out there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's one of my favorite things. So I, I can remember my children as early as eight or nine months. Trying fermented foods, but um, you know, there come there's times when they're really present in our life, and then there's times when we get busy as a family and sort of forget to have them in the routine. Um, but I think it's really important just to have them present. I treat them sort of like condiments when they are present in our life, and I just put them on the table in a small dish and I take some and Sometimes they decide to participate, and just having them there and present, they kind of are like a condiment, like having ketchup or whatever, just having them available, um, and not a lot of pressure around whether they participate or not, but they're watching you, and they're interested and intrigued, so you might be surprised that they might participate by just having them present, but if they aren't available, then they're never really going to get to figure them out.
0: What else can parents consider to protect their child's gut health? Yeah. In addition to eating whole foods, for instance.
1: Yeah. So I think that's a really great question. One of the um, things that we understand is the the infant gut is really important. So the development of the gut. So one of the first places that a child develops their microbiome is as during birth and per, passing through the vaginal canal, um, and then as well as it continues to develop in. You know, infant feeding. So, whether you're able to breastfeed, breast milk can influence the makeup of your microbiome. Um, so, those are some early choices to think about. And if you have the opportunity to do those, they can positively impact your child's microbiome. And then I think there's choices that happen beyond birth. So, one of the things we now know is antibiotics. Um, so, there was a time, and here where a lot of doctors were overusing antibiotics and antibiotics cause harm to the microbiome. And so sometimes it can take one to four years for your microbiome to recover after an antibiotic. And then there are strains of bacteria that never return after an antibiotic treatment. So I think it's really important for parents to understand that Trying to be particular about when antibiotics come into your life and making sure that they're really necessary is a really important yeah. way to protect your child's microbiome. We are seeing research that helps us understand it can impact health outcomes later in life. So we're seeing children who might have been um, treated with antibiotics before one year or before six months. And we're seeing that they have increased rates of allergies. Um, So understanding that those choices we now know impact the long-term health of your child so that you can make sure you get a partner or a pediatrician that shares your philosophy um, and understands how these choices might be the right thing for your child but also have an impact so that you can navigate when it's the right time to reach for the antibiotic and when it's not. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I personally didn't make this connection between um, gut health and antibiotics till maybe recently. I barely touched on it, but now hearing you has really solidified my understanding a bit better on this. Um, But I'd say about three years ago, when I had my baby, I that really wasn't in. it wasn't something I was aware of, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I'm um, very similar. I can relate to that. I wish I knew <laughs> so much about this before I had my children and before I got pregnant and before you know their early days. So we're learning so much so quickly, and I also wish I knew so much of this information because it could have really changed the, some of my children's health outcomes and my future grandchildren and and so on.
0: So can you give us some tips for how to get children to eat gut-friendly foods Um, because I can just hear a lot of parents saying yes we understand this we get that this is really important but at the end of the day it's like how do I get my child to eat to eat gut-friendly foods especially if you have a if you have a picky eater
1: yeah yeah I think this is the biggest challenge I find you know parents I work with So often they know exactly what their children should be eating, but how to get them to eat these foods is the real challenge. And so I think one of the things I talk about with parents is that it takes eight to 10 tries of a new food to really enjoy it. So one of the ways getting children to enjoy these foods is by continuing to expose them to these foods and not taking their first or second or third experience of not being that interested in a food to mean that they don't like it or they're never going to like it. So just not giving up (laughs) too soon. Um, And I also think we talk to parents and they're looking for their child's favorite food and just kind of searching like, what are, what is my child into? And so I think changing that mindset and understanding that what we feed our children influences what they like. So every experience they have and every taste they experience will develop their palate. And so if we can expose them to a variety of foods um, over time, it will expand the variety of foods they're willing to eat. But if we give them a narrow offering of foods, then the uh, the variety of foods they eat will become even more narrow. Mm. So I think those that those are really important starts. Um, I think the other challenge for the modern parent is how do you remove distractions um, with younger children before they go to preschool or even in preschool, you still can have a lot of influence about what a child is eating um, or what a child's exposed to or you get to decide as a parent what you allow to come into your home, which a lot of the meals are happening in your home. So if you can really remove distractions um, and the abundance of processed foods so that the whole foods are at the center of your kitchen and your home and your child has natural interest in reaching for those foods. But it's really hard. The, the manufacturers of food these days, they know how to capture the child's attention. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really hard to distract a child from processed foods snacks and foods if they're readily available in your home so I think as much as you can remove distractions um, and point your child towards great choices is gonna make it even easier
0: it's almost best not to take him to the you know to the shopping center when you are out picking up food or groceries Um, it's almost better not to take them because it's It's amazing how what a good, almost too good of too good of a job the marketing um, has done in terms of capturing their attention. Yep, (laughs) with certain foods, and but with that said, it's really great to take them along because it's another learning opportunity to explain to them about food and get into these conversations. I well and truly do believe that as soon as they pick up language, um, is. Even being at the shopping center in the you know cookies aisle is an opportunity to talk to them about food and eating things in balance and so forth and so forth.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. But the challenges are just enormous and how they place
1: things lower as well, so that it's really easy for children to grab things. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it can be incredibly challenging. And I think there's always this like age, this magical age of when you cross over. And it's, it, it's tricky as a parent. I think that understanding that part of feeding your kids well is not that it's going to be easy. I think it's It's one of the hardest paths to choose these battles and to uh, create boundaries around food that feel healthy, but not limiting. Um, But if you have the opportunity and you can get your child to the place of like those boundaries work, like we go to the store and we shop the perimeter where the fresh food is. And sometimes we go in the middle where the other foods are and some of them work for us and some of them don't. And we choose them sometimes, but not all of the time. Um, just creating this language and this understanding around this, these things, or if you have opportunities to go to farmers markets or go on a mm. farm visit to a local farm that's growing seasonal fresh food and just give them experiences outside the grocery store if possible um, to expose them to the, you know, the important foods and understanding where they come from, or if you have the chance to plant a garden and watch the process of food growing and celebrate the idea that you can grow your own food and this food can nourish you and feel really good. So as much as we can give them those experiences on top of the grocery store experience filled with food marketing and distractions, I think that we can round out pointing them in the right direction.
0: Yeah. You're increasing the chance of them developing this, having a different kind of relationship with food and having a deeper understanding of the food system as well. Yeah. And I realize that's a little bit off topic, but I do think it's really important as we, um, as we create this sort of space between us and the food system, growing our food, uh, where we get our food from, that surely is also having an impact on our gut health as well. Um, and the closer we are to the food system and having an understanding, growing our food if possible, going to the farmer's market and bridging that gap or reducing that gap, that could also have implications for gut health. Because aren't you more likely to eat fresh produce um, and to, more likely to eat more of just those whole foods? that you've mentioned so I do think on a, on, a, on a sort of on a larger scale all these things are interconnected in a way um, so having that having that broad understanding could have some really great
1: positive implications yeah. for for gut health as well yeah yeah I think the the deeper connections we can build really makes a difference we're, we're really lucky as a family because um our family has two organic farms in the family and um members of our family grow their own food and and so our children get to have this experience and understand the appreciation of what it takes to get food on the table Um, but I think families can build that in other ways by just talking about it Um, one of the things we do when we sit down at the table sometimes is acknowledging all of the hands that made the food possible on our table so it's you know the farmers it's the you know the migrant workers who bring the food in from the fields. It's the Mm -hmm. healthy soil that we grow the food in. It's the water, it's the farmer's markets and all of the layers it takes to get the food from a farm to the table and just acknowledging that and just cultivating a culture around celebrating food Um, and not just eating it. That's wonderful too. That's Mm -hmm. part of a family's culture is eating together and having those experiences, but thinking about like, where did this food come from? And, and placing value on it can really help build a future where your children value healthy food.
0: If, let's say, we can grow our own food, we really can engage with the community in other ways. And more than likely or hopefully, you'll have some sort of access to like a weekend um, farmer's market that you can engage with in the summer. You'll see children grab an apple. You'll see them just grabbing things, things that they can reach and tasting that. And even if that strawberry isn't clean, that's okay sometimes too. Um, That in itself could have some benefits. But, um, yeah, there's something really special about engaging or finding ways to directly put children in front of Whole Foods, and just letting them decide and and watch that sort of
1: um, happen just naturally as well. Yeah, I love that. And and if, you know, someone's listening who doesn't necessarily have access to a farmer's market, I think there's a lot of ways to have that experience. So now our children are so lucky to grow up in a time when there's an endless list of children's books that celebrate food and health and farming. Um, I have some on my website that you can refer to but also there's documentaries. The other night my children and I watched The Biggest Little Farm, and it's a beautiful documentary about a family that bought a farm and brought it back to life in California. And just watching this process Mm -hmm. of taking this dried out soil and this dead farm, and it was filled with, you know, bees that weren't thriving and had died and then watching them bring it back to life, you can build this connection to this experience of where your food's coming from and what it takes to make sure that food arrives at the table. So I think there's a lot of ways to engage movies, books, conversations, if you don't have access to a farmer's market near you. And we were talking a little bit about how parents um, can ensure that their kids are eating well. And I think one of my favorite resources is also the work of Ellen Satter. Um, she's written a lot of books on how to navigate feeding your children and navigate picky eating. And I think that's always a really good resource to put out there for families. And one of my okay. philosophies that she talks about is um, parents are in control of what, when and where children eat and children get to decide if they eat and how much they eat. And I think that's always really worked well for a lot of families I've worked with, of just the division of responsibility is what she calls it. Um, So just making sure as parents, like you focus on what you're bringing into your home and having regular meal times and sitting at the table together and modeling good choices and then letting children control what they're going to do and if they're going to participate and feeling like they have the autonomy around what they're putting in their mouth and whether they're hungry and whether they're going to eat. Um, I think that can be really helpful versus engaging in food battles and power struggles about food. That's a very powerful way to um,
0: to connect with parents and to provide them with almost like a bit of a template of how to approach nutrition in the family or even how to approach some of the challenges that they may be facing in terms of um, children that are picky eaters or it takes them a bit longer to warm up to certain foods as well. Yeah. So that, that division and in, in creating that mindset, that to me, that really resonates with me and that makes complete sense. Just to summarize some of the takeaways and things that I've learned in, in this conversation is that microbiome is important. We know that what's really important is the diversity of that microbiome. And the way to nourish that diversity and protect that diversity is by eating a range of foods, whole foods, plant-based foods, rainbow, nut seeds, colorful, colorful fruit and veg, and providing our children with as many opportunities to have a connection with that food. So whether it's Educating through books, documentaries, having these conversations at the table, and really educating them on the food system and, you know, what are some of the ways that we can look after ourselves and our gut health. Um, it was comforting to have you say that it may take, you know, like eight or 10 tries before they say yes this food or maybe even develop a taste for a particular food so just because they say no the first few times um don't necessarily just give up on the idea because if i'm giving up on that idea their behavior them saying no is shaping my future choice about trying this again and it's almost like i'm giving up early so um Give it a go, of more than a few times. So it may take it may take, like you said, eight to ten, eight to ten times. And um, what you just said there at the end about this mindset, how as parents we can control what we buy, what we bring into the house, what's so really available in our pantry, and children get to decide. Ultimately, they make a choice about what it is. Um that they consume for lunch, for their uh, at lunch or at dinner. So it really shouldn't be about us forcing them to eat something or saying you have to eat everything that's on your plate. Um, let them decide. I find a great deal of comfort in that as well. Because uh, I think a lot of us parents, we worry if um, is my child, is the intake, is nutritional intake, enough? You know, yeah. Am I providing them with with what they need? Oh, did you eat enough? Are you hungry? Wow, they didn't eat all their vegetables. So I think we kind of go back and forth in our heads about. You know the quantity and the quality of the, of the intake, so just kind of coming back and and um, taking this approach of provide diversity, or you know, with plenty of food and plenty of different foods, yeah. and just try things a few times and, yeah. and try presenting things in different ways as well.
1: I think that's great. It's it's a marathon and not a sprint, and and one day doesn't really determine your all of your child's health. So I think just remembering it's about a week, in a month, in a year, in many years, and, and be kind to yourself. And it's, it's not an easy job, but it's worth continuing to practice and keep trying. Mm,
0: absolutely. Oh, Ashley, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. Uh, you know the conversation doesn't need to end here. You provide and, and you write extensively on on this topic. So, how can we how can we connect with you as well?
1: Yeah, and reach out to you. Yeah, I'd love that. So I can be found. on My website is called vibrantlyhealthykids.com and so I can be found there. Um, writing articles to support parents. Um, and I'm also on Instagram as well under Vibrantly Healthy Kids. And I'm so thankful to be here and to talk to you about something I'm so passionate about. So thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on the Wellness Code podcast. I really enjoyed talking to Ashley about children's gut health. I especially like Ashley's take on helping build healthy food relationships. If you want to learn more about raising a healthy eater or you would like to connect with Ashley, please visit ashleyknutrition.com. And if you found value in this show, please consider sharing with a friend. That's all for this episode, folks. See you all next time.